Have you ever wondered who is doing the research that will impact your future? The Research Podcast lets you meet those people and learn how the University of Kentucky is exploring and strengthening our understanding of the world through research and discovery. Here's Alicia Gregory, Director of Research Communications. Today we'll meet John R. Van Nagel, Jr., Director of the Ovarian Cancer Screening Program at the Marquis Cancer Center. This month, he received the Society of Gynecologic Oncology's 2017 Distinguished Service Award. He starts by telling us how he first came to UK. I was brought up in Kentucky, in Oldham County. I went away to school in the Northeast, and I went to Harvard and University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Uh, but I always wanted to come home. And when it came time for me to decide where I wanted to undergo further training, University of Kentucky was just opening and it was thought to be an outstanding new medical center. So, of course, I wanted to get closer to home, so that's where I came. I think I've stayed here because it's a wonderful place to be, to study. I've always loved the medical center. I, I think it's been very good to me. So tell me a little bit about the ovarian cancer screening program that you direct. Yeah, well, a number of ladies would say when they were treated here, well, isn't there anything we can do to allow for earlier diagnosis of this disease? And one of the ladies was Virginia McCandless, who was the health director for the uh, Kentucky Extension Homemakers. And she actually was diagnosed again with advanced ovarian cancer when symptoms occurred. And she was treated here and she said, well, you know, I just want to do something. And so we came up with the idea if every woman in the Kentucky Extension Homemakers would give one dollar, then we would be able to give educational materials back and allow them to have free screening. So that sort of started the ball rolling. And I think since that time, many, we've probably provided free screening to over 50,000 women, mostly from Kentucky. And we have been able to detect ovarian cancer at an earlier stage in many women than just waiting for symptoms to occur. And actually, the survival rate of women in our ovarian cancer screening program who get ovarian cancer is about double that of women that didn't have screening. It's a very difficult disease to screen for because it's rare. It produces no symptoms reliably that you can say, well, I have this symptom and therefore I've got ovarian cancer. I mean, the, the, the symptoms that it produces, even with advanced disease, are very nonspecific. And that's why, really, women don't sense anything is wrong. They don't come in until something's really wrong. The transvaginal sonography, which was the screening mm -hmm. method that you mm -hmm. use, it's been viewed as a little bit controversial by some critics who think it may lead to unnecessary surgeries. Mm -hmm. And you've defended this in the press over the years. That's right. If you don't know that anything's wrong and you come in for screening and they find an ovarian tumor, well, then the question is, do I need surgery or not? Now, when we first started, it was the rule, the, the, the usual standard of care, that if you had an ovarian tumor, you, you should have surgery to take it out. 
And I think very, very rarely would we operate on a patient and have nothing be found in their ovary. I mean, the, the ovary has an abnormality, an ovarian tumor when we operate, but not all of them are malignant. So you could look back in the rear mirror and say, well, geez, you know, if I knew that it was benign, maybe I wouldn't have wanted surgery. But the problem is you don't know. So I think that what we've done in terms of growing the research, we've tried to advance our algorithms. And it's sort of based on the understanding that an ovarian tumor and changes in ovarian size is a dynamic process. And we now know because of the screening program that certain ovarian cysts, for, for example, are always benign. We never knew that before the screening. So now when we see those, we're able to say, no, we won't operate on those. On the other hand, if there is a type of tumor that has some complexities and maybe papillary projections or solid area, then that's a little bit more problematic because the risk of ovarian malignancy in those tumors are higher. So we're all, we're trying to correlate always the morphologic picture uh, with the risk of malignancy. And, and furthermore, if we are able to take a picture of an ovary today and then in four weeks take another picture of it, if this is a malignant ovarian tumor, generally speaking, it's growing and it's looking more complex and, and more threatening in, in a way with time. On the other hand, if you have a benign ovarian tumor, maybe it will even go away or get smaller. So with time and serial evaluations now, we can tell a lot more. We're constantly trying to improve our algorithm with repeat studies so that we're able to predict risk of malignancy more accurately. We're trying to keep the risk as less than the benefits of the procedure. And I would say 99 times out of 100, the initial surgery we perform is laparoscopy. And, you know, in that situation, the patient can go home often that evening or, or the next morning. It's one thing to say, oh, well, ovarian cancer screening is not perfect. You miss some cases. Sometimes you think things are higher risk than they really are. But without it, where does that leave women? We know that women coming in for an annual pelvic examination, that, that has absolutely minimal diagnostic efficacy. I mean, some people would argue you can't diagnose ovarian cancer on pelvic exam because the, and particularly at an early stage, because Many women, particularly in the postmenopausal years, the size of the ovary is so small, you can't feel it reliably on pelvic examination, much less feel a small abnormality in something which is less than an inch and a half in diameter. I mean, it's just it's not that accurate. And if a woman has an enlarged uterus, or if they happen to be overweight, it's even more difficult. We don't want to, in my view, write off 
the early detection of ovarian cancer because it's so difficult. Because really when you look back on it, the majority of women that, you know, in my career have been cured have had early stage disease. I think where we are in screening is we're not saying that ovarian cancer screening should be adopted nationally out of a research setting. But what we are saying is that more research needs to be done on it, and we're doing it. And I think that a lot of research needs to be done on the at-risk population. Who should be screened? But we can do a better job through molecular genetic testing and things like that of identifying women who are at the highest risk profile and maybe providing screening to that segment of our population. But when we do that, we need to have the best screening algorithm. And that's where the University of Kentucky, you know, in my view, has been a leader. So tell me a little bit how you've stayed motivated and inspired after decades in this yeah, area. Well, if you're not inspired by trying to perfect something which you know can be life-saving, you know, I'm absolutely as committed as ever. All you have to do is just go back into the clinic and see one case after another of ladies coming in with advanced ovarian cancers that had no symptoms early. And by the time they developed symptoms, they, they really had incurable disease. And so that is, is constantly a reminder. But I think it's almost, the word short-sighted, if you do not emphasize research on early detection, because we have been all about doing research on chemotherapy and all the types and ways agents of giving different forms of chemotherapy different ways, giving uh, intraperitoneal chemotherapy, intravenous chemotherapy, even bone marrow transplant. And the cure rate of ovarian cancer has virtually not changed, you know, with all of that. On the other hand, if you can detect an ovarian cancer at stage one, through early detection and screening, the five-year survival rate for those women is 90%. Whereas if you wait till a patient has stage 3C or 4 disease, the ultimate cure rate is only about 10%. Now, the five-year survival rate may be as high as 40%, but the majority of those people that are alive with advanced disease still have it, and eventually it's going to be a fatal disease. What have been some of the most fulfilling moments for you in regards to your research? I think the most fulfilling part of the research is just seeing women that have been detected who knew absolutely nothing was wrong with them, and they really had a potentially fatal disease. And then we were able to treat it, and now they're fine. They, these women are faithfully coming back here as part of the follow-up for the research, and there's no more grateful. I mean, to me, it's all about the lives of people that have been really altered for the better by the screening program.
So how has your research impacted the way you train students in the medical center? I think the fact that the ovarian cancer screening program is here in the clinical area where residents and students and our fellows in gynecologic oncology can all see this and see the reality of what happens to women that come in and are screened and, and know about the technology of screening and how we do it and see the, the pictures generated and how we approach screening. I think it's very insightful. For example, our fellows in G1 Oncology that are going to be spend their whole lives in the profession of G1 Oncology all know about screening here, and they're very good at it. So I think it's been a great educational opportunity uh, for everybody. And I think those of us more senior are learning every, every day, too. So we're trying to perfect you know, the best early detection algorithm we can. So what was your reaction when you heard you would be receiving the SGO Distinguished Service Award? It's a great honor, really, because I think to be honored by your peers, and particularly knowledgeable peers that are medically committed, is very special. And also because I think you realize that they know the challenges of screening, they know the imperfections of screening, and they know that it isn't perfect and that there are problems with it. But I think, in a way, I believe that, in, at least in some small way, this validates what we have tried to do, and, and that is improve early detection of a very, very serious disease. So what would you tell someone who's thinking about joining the research or clinical enterprise here at UK? Well, I, I think the University of Kentucky is in a unique position now because I think it's got great leadership and great leadership in the medical center. I'm a tremendous admirer of Dr. Karp. I've been here a very long time, really, um, since 1967, and University of Kentucky was always an institution with great potential, but kind of untapped potential. But I think Dr. Karp has moved us forward tremendously, and therefore, his leadership has been translated into making the university a great place to be and to do research at. And Dr. Evers is another tremendously effective leader. I think the Markey Cancer Center is not only the best facility for cancer patients in the state, but regionally, and, and I think everyone is aware of the NCI Cancer Center status that we have and that we're fully on the way to comprehensive cancer status. So this takes great dedication and great leadership. So I think if I were to say anything to younger research-oriented people, I mean, this is the place you want to be. It's exciting to be here. It's a great opportunity. Thank you for listening to The Research Podcast. To subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud or iTunes, search University of Kentucky Research Media and visit our site, reveal.uky.edu.